Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 71. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Producer Megan is on the sticks. Cody Saftik is on location in parts unknown USA on vacation. So we're just using his phoner board this week. Um, oh yeah, this episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by... Prize picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Cody, how's vacation treating you? Don't tell people where you are because uh, Shevchenko lost last week and they may be after you. Are people mad about that? Listen, you got to hedge out when you can't hedge out people, especially when she's like a 10 to 1 favorite in a women's MMA fight. You know who made out the best? Pat Mayo. Pat Mayo knows. Women's MMA. Take mm-hmm. that plus money. Um, all jokes aside, like I actually should have hedged out a little bit better, but, uh, the fights ended on Saturday. I think it was good all around. And then uh, it just like dawned on me, like, man, we've been doing pretty good to start the car, like to start the year. Top tickets have been coming through, which has been like the safe way of approaching the parlays. Um, you know, the hedge out opportunities have been paying out some underdogs that we liked have been hidden. So, I mean, like, not like, oh, I'm going to reward myself, but when you're lying on your deathbed at the end of the day, you're going to remember all these shitty prelims. Absolutely. I remember every shitty prelim I've ever seen. But I also remember the good times in my life. So I'm like, let's go out and do something. So I told my wife, let's just uh, book an impromptu trip somewhere. And uh, yeah, Nashville, Tennessee. I know you said don't tell anybody. But uh, yeah, if you want to come see me on the strip, come see me on the strip. Cody's checking out some college basketball. And it sounds like you're having having fun. Yeah, so there's a... There's like an SEC tournament happening down here at the Bridgestone. Our hotel's just like down the street from the Bridgestone. So we decided to go check it out. We're on like a tractor thing today. Uh, been during the last few days, but yeah, it was like Sunday to Thursday, quick little trip. So back, how have I been able to tape study this card? Absolutely not. However, again, very familiar with everybody. Everyone here is either the Fawn and Contending Series or the UFC. I know what they're all about, and uh, I will make final picks, obviously, once I get home, but in terms of breaking this stuff down, I'm looking forward to it, right? Yeah. Talking we- about basketball, talking about football, talking about drinking, talking about Johnny Cash, going to the country music museum doing all that stuff you know what i haven't really been able to do actually i met uh, raymond daniels buddy yesterday he had like pictures of him at his wedding and shit it was a pretty good guy but uh yeah no outside of that i'm talk. I'm, I'm like ready to talk fights for a day for an hour anyway all right uh so yeah there's a bit of a delay in terms of the audio there so like don't get on my grill about interrupting cody today because i'm i'm trying my best okay <laughs> um but yeah what was i gonna say yeah we were talking about it like two weeks ago that the UFC has to get out of the apex. And they get out of the apex. They don't even leave Las Vegas. They're at the Virgin Hotels for this card. And it's like, this is what a half decent, like a half decent, like, you know, fight night card looks like. Like you have former champion versus an up and coming contender. You've got, yeah, lots of decent little matchups. And then you mix in your contender series guys and this is a half decent you know 13 fight card but uh without further ado let's get into it peter yawn takes on marab dvalishvili in the main event we got peter yawn as a minus 250 favorite dvalishvili can be had for plus 210 yawn coming off of the very very controversial loss to uh to sean o'malley lots of people didn't think he won but the problem with it is that that was a three-round fight yawn is known as a perpetual slow starter 
Mirab comes at you with a ton of bricks early and often. He's spamming takedowns, very, very high energy. Questions with him is like, can he do that for five rounds? I'm not entirely sure. Jan starts slow. Mirab starts fast. It's one of those kind of fights where, like, if you bet Mirab, he could be way up, and then you feel great about yourself. He falls off of a cliff and loses. I am going to side with Peter Yan to get back on track. Minus 250 isn't doing it for me. I did sprinkle Yan round four at 20, plus 2200, and Yan round five at plus 3300. Um, I think he may have some struggles early on in this fight, but he always kind of starts pretty slow. Once, you know, he calculates all of the information and puts it all together, um, hopefully puts him away. He could win by a decision or it could be, you know, this is the type of fight that could turn into a draw. But um, I like Jan. I, I sprinkled, sprinkled the uh, the late props because I that's kind of how I see this fight shaping up. What about you? Yeah, Pierre Jan, I truly believe that he's one of the best guys in the world. He's got the perfect skill set. Guys can strike. Guy can wrestle. Guy's got good cardio. Guy's very calculated. All these things. Bit of a slow starter, yes. But I think when you're that, you know, when you're that knowledgeable, you're downloading information on the spot, like you said, you're going to make, you know, a lot of calculations. You're not just going to go with their guns blazing right at the start. So is he a little bit hesitant in that early going? Maybe. Maybe that's his fault. But outside of that, he's got like one of the skill sets that you're, you're looking to bank on. Crazy thing about MMA. Amazed, you can still lose a fight by being the better fighter. First Aljamain Sterling fight, he's a better fighter. He's beating him. He's well on his way to beating him. Unfortunately, gets himself disqualified. At this point, he's still the best guy on the planet. The next fight against Corey Sanhagen. Listen, this is a fight tooth and nail. Like he ends up winning a unanimous decision, but I don't think anybody was feeling great about it. He got outstruck by Corey by by uh, Corey Sanhagen, taken down by Sanhagen. A very close fight, but again, he does win. Sanhagen's a great contender, so I think Peter Yan's one of the best guys in the world. The second Aljo fight, like he wins clean, but he went here. Sorry, he loses clean. He loses clean because of the back take, because of the body triangle, because of his inability to get out of a couple of bad positions. But outside of that, if you want to look at the fight for what it is, punch the other guy in the face. I thought he beat Aljamain Sterling. I thought he was winning the exchanges. I thought he, he did good in those later rounds. Unfortunately, he was already down on the scorecard. So I don't take anything away from him. I think he's one of the best guys in the world. It is very much that Sean O'Malley fight that gives me huge hesitation for him because even though most people thought he won and they're screaming robbery and all that, he looked like shit. Whether you, whether you thought he won the fight or not, he's fighting Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley. And still, all, all the rounds were closed. He was getting rocked. He was getting outstruck. By the numbers, he got outstruck 84 to 58. Sure, he got six takedowns. But what did he do with those six takedowns? Not huge damage. Not huge control time. I don't think for the most part. And again, this is this is Sean O'Malley. That's shouldn't have even really been ranked in the top 10 amongst Bantamweights, taking on the best Bantamweight on the planet and, uh, and does enough to keep it close enough to screw him on a, a split decision. So now paying the price of 250 is what makes me super hesitant on him. I think he wins. I think he beats Murad Dvajvili, but again, he's, he's going to probably take the first round off and then he's going to recalculate himself. He'll get taken down by Dvajvili. I'm, I'm, I'm certain that Murad, you know, the takedown king, is going to be able to get him down. I just don't think he's going to be able to hold him down. But, mm. but... Given that who the judges are for this fight, they might score the takedowns. They might score the Murad Vashvili wins the first round with activity, wins the second round and the fourth round with some takedowns, loses the third and fifth, and, and squeaks out a split decision. So like, if the line was better, I'd be all over Yon, but the minus 250, it's enough to like give me that cause for concern. What I can say, though, is just like you said, Peter Yon is a slow starter, and I'm completely going to agree with that. Murad Vashvili is a fast starter. I'm completely going to agree with that. So live bet this thing. Live bet this thing after the first. Like, Corey said... Um, 
Peter Young has lost a lot of first rounds. If you go back to the Gene Rivera fight, he takes almost the whole first round off before clipping him at the end of it. Uh, the Aljo fight the first time, took the first round off. Corey Sandhagen took the first round off. The Aljo uh, rematch took the first round off. Yeah, I, I think that the live market will probably give you a better price if you know it's Murad Dabashvili one nothing going into four more rounds. Mm-hmm. And then I think that slowly Jan will take over with his volume, with his body attack, with his ability to just continuously get back up. You've seen Murad Dabashvili when he has to rely on his striking. It's not bad, but it's not something that I think he's going to be able to do for 25 minutes. You know, In his fight with Marlon Marais, he got beat up pretty good in that first round before coming back at the tail end of it. It's that fight right before that I want to key in with Cody Stamen. He outstruck him. He took him down. Don't get me wrong. But if you watch those three rounds, Mrodvash Bili is not able to really pull away with the fight and excel with the fight. A guy with better volume that can stuff takedowns, scramble back up to his feet, and really make him work, I think is going to be able to break him down. So I really don't don't like the money line on this, to be honest, but I do have Peter Yan winning the fight, and I think you're going to be able to probably live bet this after the first and feel a lot better about it. All right, All right we've got the uh, co-main event. We've got Alexander Romanov taking on Alexander Volkov. Minus 150 for Romanov, plus 130 for Volkov. I'm kind of surprised by this one, to be perfectly honest. Like, here's my... and It's been a love-hate relationship, obviously, against Juan Espino. Uh, me and you had a shoey bet on that one, and uh, you got away with you got away with one on that when it went to technical decision after you know Romanov's looking incredibly gassed in round three. And he's you know he really sold that nut shot and goes to a technical decision. Well, he's up two rounds. Um, round three was when Juan Espino was about to put it on him, in my humble opinion. Uh, now he's taking on like a certified top 10 guy in the division, probably should have success being able to take down Volkov early, but if he doesn't get him out of there, I mean, yeah, you, you look at Volkov, it's like he took on Curtis Blades, he got taken down 12 times, like, I'm, I'm confident in round one that Romanov can do that, I'm not confident in rounds two and three, I mean, just look at the Marcin Tybora fight, Romanov looks like one of the best wrestlers we've ever seen in the first five minutes, and then it all falls off of a clip. Everyone was talking about leading into that fight. Romanov, you know, he's dropped 20 pounds. He's, uh, he's going to have much better cardio, and that didn't really translate. Um, it was Maybe he's made some adjustments since then. Maybe it was tough making that cut, and, he, and he's working with nutritionists, and it's going to be improved. But until I see 15 minutes of cardio from this guy, not laying a chalk number against a tough opponent, big opponent, somebody who actually is going to have about 15 pounds on him on fight night, I'm going to go with the underdog in Volkov here. I think it's probably a better live betting opportunity. Make sure you get f- through the first five minutes, and then... Uh, yeah, he's he's gonna get like Volkov's gonna get taken down early, and even on prize picks, they've got the line set at two and a half takedowns for Romanov. It's like Romanov may clear that in the first round, but um, if it gets out of that first round, then what happens in this fight? Um, yeah, Volkov is gonna be the pick for me in this spot. What about you? Yeah, well, this is another one, just like you said, it's a great live betting opportunity because you can get Volkov at plus 130 right now or you can get Volkov at plus 330 after the first round. Like, he's probably going to be tossed around in the first. We know with Romanov, the guy's pretty well elite for the first five minutes of a fight. I mean, Juan Espino is a wrestling standout. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt standout. The first round, Romanov gives him everything he can handle. It's those second and third rounds that he falls apart against Juan Espino. The Marcin Taibora fight in the first round, he looked really good in the first round. I think we're all 
laughing about it, feeling good about ourselves. And then the train falls off the wheel of the tracks, right? So it'll be the same thing with Volkov. I think he's going to have early success. If he hasn't shored up his cardio, he falls apart. If he has shored up his cardio, this is probably a better style fight for him, I, I would believe. Because the thing with Alexander Volkov is six foot seven. Even if you don't get, the, if you do get the takedown, it's way harder for him to actually get back up to his feet. He doesn't really just clear space and scramble as quick as he needs to. And then the second thing is because he's six foot seven, that high center of gravity. Should be easier if you don't if you can't get the takedown. That's fine. You can just press them up against the cage. Now, if you look back at his fight with Marcin Tybora, Tybora actually goes 0 for 16 on takedowns against Alexander Volkov. But he has a lot of success just pinning him up against the cage. And I think a guy that's short, stocky, and very strong like Romanov will be able to just accrue time like that. And then his very next fight after stuffing 16 Marcin Tybora takedowns. He gave up a couple to Tom Aspinall and then gets submitted on the ground. So Aspinall not really known for his wrestling, more of a boxer with a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, but again, I think with Volkov being so tall, you can trip this guy up to the mat. And that's kind of what I'm thinking Romanov's going to do. He's going to get him to the ground. If he can't get him to the ground, he's going to pin him up against the cage. He's going to tee off. Volkov's better at distance, no doubt about it. Volkov's got better you know, uh, volume, no doubt about it. But again, if you don't fight this guy at distance, then he's not going to be able to get that volume going. You need to kill the space. Press him up against the cage. Take time off the clock. Try to get those takedowns. Once you do get those takedowns, go to half guard. Don't get greedy. Sit in half guard. Don't try to submit him. Don't try to pass. Don't try to mount. Just pin him on the ground. Is it the most exciting fight in the world? No. But Alexander Romanov needs to condition himself first and foremost and not just be an exclusive first-round finisher. And coming off a loss, you know, an embarrassing loss, he's just got to get the win. He's got to do the right thing and get the win. 32 years old, he's not uh, he's not old for heavyweight, certainly. But I, I don't know that I trust him to make vast improvements fight to fight. And the other thing is maybe somebody can help me on this because, again, I'm away. I haven't really been able to look. But like, is Romanov still just training in Romania? Not Romania. In, uh, oh, where is he I'm sorry, uh, Moldova. Like, what's he doing? Like, I see he spends a little bit of time in like Eastern Europe. Uh, he does some sambo stuff, but put him in American Top Team. Like, put him, put him like in a mega gym with actual heavyweight training partners. They're gonna push him and take him down and make him work. And like, this guy could be a heavyweight contender. I don't think I'm trusting him to make the improvements all by himself. So I'm worried, like you're saying. I will pick him uh, right now, ever so slightly. Minus 150 is not the worst price tag going. But again, Keon. The after the first round, if he gets if Volkov gets out of the first round and you see Romanov tired, that's the time to pull the shoot. That's the time to live bet. And then second of all, yeah, try to figure out what Romanov's been up to because if he's just training himself again or training with smaller guys in his own comfort zone and hasn't made any improvements, this is a tough fight. Um, looking at you know, I'm 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 creeping on his gram right now, Cody, because you asked. Um, he he hashtagged Baltimore as something. Uh, pretty he spent recently. some time in Maryland. When he first came over from Moldova, he went to Maryland, which is not exactly known yeah. for like as an MMA hotbed. And he spent some time there, did a little bit of boxing there. Seems if like you he's... went to Maryland to hook up with like Lloyd Irvin or something, like I, I get it. The guy's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu whiz, whack-ass person in real life, but a Brazilian jiu-jitsu whiz. Uh, yeah, maybe something like that, but like not. I don't know what he was doing there. It was like someone sponsored him to go to Maryland for a bit. He spent some time, and then he went back home. And and this is this is my this is my line of thinking. When you look at him, right, he pretty much is the exact same guy in all of his fights. He's shown zero improvements. His UFC debut, right, against Roque Martinez, he uh, took he took him down a bunch, but he took him to the second round. Just like sat on him and King Kong bundied him in the face a bunch of times. His fight with Marcos Rogério de Lima, he looked trash standing, bro. His stand-up is awful in that fight, but he's able to get down, you know, a lazy heavyweight. Fine. The yeah. Espino fight, you called it. You're like, bro, he's actually not looked all that good in his first two fights, but I bought the hype. 
I was buying the hype. You saw it. I did it. And you should have won that one. I greased one out. But now it's like, okay, Paul was right. I need to keep my eyes open. Thing is, they booked him versus Jared Vander and Chase Sherman. So like, okay, all right. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll bet him again. And I did. And then you bet him against Chase Sherman. You do. And then you get Ty Bora and you convince yourself he's getting better. But he hasn't gotten any better. He hasn't had nothing to get any better. So, yeah, if he's the same version against Volkov, like, again, I think he can get early takedowns. I think he can have a lot of success just pitting him up against the cage in the clinch. But uh, the, a live bet is definitely in play because if he's the same old version of him, and you'll know after five minutes, um, yeah, Volkov's going to be live with that plus. Yeah, all, all I was trying to all I was trying to do is is answer your question. He was in Maryland as of two weeks ago. Um, here, here, here's this. Here's how we get some something in it pre-flop. You like Romanov? I'll take Volkov. Let's do a shoey bet. I'll take the plus money side. Normally, I would uh, say no. However, I will say yes. I will say yes. Okay. I will say yes because Romanov screwed you on a shoey one time, so That's I owe what? it up to you to get that one back. I want to get it back. I want to get it back for what he did to Juan Espino. You, you read my mind completely. All right, we got Nikita Krylov taking on Ryan Superman Span. Minus 170 for Krylov. Plus 150 for Span. Fight that we broke down two weeks ago. I think we were both picking Krylov. Now we're talking five, uh, sorry, instead of five rounds, it's three rounds. And the fight is actually at a 215-pound catch weight. It's funny how, like, you know, a couple weeks changes so many things. When it's the main event of a card, you feel like you have to have, you know, money invested in it. Now I kind of look at it and it's just like, I think minus 170 plus 150 is priced about right. Not a spot I really want to get into um, um, pre pre flop, I think both of these guys have very very clear paths to victory, um, and anything can kind of happen. Krylov was the guy who had to pull out, so that makes me even more skeptical about him. Um, at minus one seventy, um, if he takes Span down, Span's shown some like half decent uh, submission skills, so like it's a big time stay away. I'll still pick Krylov. Um, I think he's making some serious improvements, but I am questioned. Like I have big questions about like why he pulled out two weeks ago of the main event. So Krylov is still the pick, but uh, I'm even less confident in it this week than I was last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, I think I'm flip flopping over to Ryan Spann, and again, yeah. it's for like nothing other than just bad juju narrative. I, I, Nikita Krylov pulls out of a fight two weeks ago, so two weeks ago he shows up to the venue after weighing in. The doctor looks at him. They say, "Nah, man." Dana and, and company try to give him as much time as possible, all the way till the main card starts before they announce, "Yeah, this guy can't fight." So it probably was a stomach bug. It probably was something that was temporary, but still, it's two weeks ago, right? Did that get caused by the weight cut? Uh, are you able to jump back, back into the gym Monday morning? Did he need a few days? Did he need to recut the weight? Now, this fight's actually a catch weight of 215. So it's not a 205-pound fight anymore. It's a 215-pound fight. I would love to know who requested that, right? Both guys don't want to cut back down to 205. So it's like they mutually would have been like, 215, great, sure. But was it Krylov saying, yeah, but the bad weight cut rendered me sick the last time? I don't want to cut down to 205. Was it Span saying, nah, dog, I'm a massive 205-er. I don't want to cut down like... Not, I'm not so sure. But the three rounds to five rounds, that's a big changer for me, right? In a five-round fight, I think Nikita Krylov is more proven. Not that he's fought five rounds, but he's fought three rounds fairly comfortably. He just fought Volkan Uzdemir. He's able to implement a wrestling style later into fights and kind of get that grind going. He was an early starter for much of his career, but in the last number of fights, as he's fought in better level of competition, he can, to a certain extent, pace himself and get into those later rounds. 
Ryan Spann's exclusively been finishing guys in the first round for a while now. The last time you seen him get out of the first round was against Sam Alvey, and again, he faded and didn't look good in that fight. So in a five-round fight, I have no reason to believe that Ryan Spann can fight five rounds, four rounds, three rounds for that matter. But this is a three-round fight, so he, let's say he just wins the first two and then got taken down. I, I don't know. He's got a nasty guillotine choke. You know, you mentioned this in the breakdown the last time around. Krylov, Krylov against Paul Craig. You know, you got this guy beat stand-up, right? Why would you even play his game and stick your neck right into harm's way? But he did. But with Span, it's like he's got a nasty ground game. I can see him grabbing a neck. I can see him winning the striking exchanges in the first round. If his cardio is good enough to fight two hard rounds, they're both going to be tired in the third. If a finish doesn't materialize, Span's going to get the decision. He wasn't sick. He put in the training camp. He's ready to rock and roll. He doesn't have that on his mind like Krylov would. It's just enough for me to take the coward's way out and flip-flop. So if Krylov wins, I'm going to feel like an idiot. But if but if Span, if I was to stay with Krylov and Span was to beat him up, I would, I would feel like a bigger idiot. Because I'd be like, why did I take the guy that was sick two weeks ago? Why did I take this guy that pulled out of this fight? It's coming up. Three-round fight, not a five. Like, everything I thought changes. So... Never so slightly, man. Honestly, you got to get some underdogs in, right? This is a mm-hmm. card that you can see some viable underdogs coming in and getting the job done. Ryan Span, the price hasn't moved. The price has not moved from two weeks ago, and yet one of the guys pulled out sick a few hours before the fight, and it's now a three-round fight. I got to think that changes enough for me. So give me some dog money here on Ryan Span. Yep, fair enough. All right, we got Ricardo Ramos taking on Austin Lingo, minus 350 for Ramos, plus 280 for Lingo. Who you got here? Okay, so again, this is one that I'll have to look into a little bit deeper when I get home, but I feel like Ricardo Ramos is your apple pie shitter of the week at minus 350. Why would you pay minus 350 for Ricardo Ramos? I, I honestly couldn't tell you. But this is the thought process on this one. So Ramos, extremely talented, don't get me wrong, but he's like super low output. Like I was looking at the numbers and uh, his fight, sorry, I just brought it up in front of me, but it, let's say these are fights that go 15 minutes. So him versus Tanaka, he lands 45. Him versus the hobby makes it halfway through the third round, he had landed 42. Him versus Mr. Perfect, he lands 54. These are all low, okay? Him versus Journey Newsom, 15-minute fight, he lands 40. Him versus Bill Aljeo, 53. Him versus Zubera Tuhugo. Now, that's a career high for him. Career high, 68 significant strikes landed versus Zubair Tuhugo. Keep in mind, he got outstruck 77 to 68, taken down twice and lost unanimous decision. Mm-hmm. So almost universally, the guy's low output. He can get some takedowns going. He can get, you know, some flashy stuff going. He knocked out Amos Zahabi with a spinning back elbow. He knocked out Danny Chavez with a spinning back elbow. He, uh, he's got that flash, that pizzazz, but there's not enough actual substance behind it. Now, his takedowns are all right. He took down Bill Joe eight times. You know, that led to a victory there. But I don't know that it's enough for me to really rely on him just going out there and now grappling Austin Lingo for long periods. Now, Lingo's not a world beater. That's why you're getting this huge plus money on him. Is that like he had a short pro career in LFA, only had like seven wins, or I think it was like seven pro fights before signing to the UFC. And then it's been like kind of a weird run in the UFC so far. But just bear with me on this one. Is that when he used to just be a pro box, like not a pro boxer, a pure boxer, right? He throws good power from his left and right hands. Flat stance, flat-footed, um, not great footwork, doesn't really get out of the way, but that uh, guy can crack. So when he fought Yusuf Zalal, he got matadored hard. Like, Zalal just moves laterally the entire time, and he just can't catch him. In fact, he gets over-aggressive trying to pursue him, and then Zalal just duck unders and takes him down. So he looks like trash in that fight. Okay. Takes like a year off, right? Takes some time off. Comes back against Jacob Kilburn. And uh, in the Kilburn fight, he looks way better. He dropped him, uh, sort of take down that fight, outstruck him fairly handily, almost lands 100 significant strikes against a bum and Jacob Kilburn. 
It was like a good comeback fight. And then that last fight uh, against um, Luis Saldana, he loses the first round. He can't really track Saldana down as well. The second and the third round, I mean, Saif Saud gets in his ear and gives him some excellent advice. This guy's out of fourth MMA. He's out of one of the best gyms, certainly the best gym in Texas, but one of the best gyms in North America. He's got some excellent training partners, one of the best coaches in the game. They're going to make him better. He's going to improve. And keep in mind, he's still a pretty young guy. Um, 28 years old. So it's the same thing. Like I just, I, I see someone that is coachable. When he loses that first round, they give him perfect advice. They're just like, listen, you're losing. This is what you need to do. And like going into the third, it's 1-1. He looks at him. He's tired. He's like, yo, you got to get going here, Austin Lingo. Austin Lingo goes out there. He wins that third round. Now he pulls out of a fight with Jonathan Pierce, who's a stud. And he pulls out of a fight with David Onama, who's a stud. But that's probably to his benefit because now he hasn't fought in like 16 months. But I don't think he's one of these guys that would have just sat on the sidelines for 16 months and made zero improvements. In the gym, you're training at a high level. He had a decent skill set to begin with. And how does he beat Ricardo Ramos? He needs to stuff takedowns. But he's got better volume than him. Again, if you look at his numbers traditionally, him versus Saldani, he landed 73. Him versus Jacob Kilburn, he had landed 95. Him versus Zalal, he only lands 12 because he gets taken down six times. Don't get taken down. Keep this fight standing. And I think that he should be able to get onto the inside, keep this thing close, keep this thing competitive, and rob him on a split decision. Now, if this was a better line, maybe I wouldn't be talking, maybe I wouldn't even be considering it. It's just the line is so wide here that I do truly believe that he's live to squeak one out. And he'd be one of those guys that you play Ramos on your parlays, minus 350, you watch the fight, maybe he wins the first round, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey man, why isn't he doing anything? Why doesn't he kick more? Why doesn't he punch more? Why are his takedowns working? Lingo's going to work his way back into this thing. I think the 16 months off for him, you'll see a better version of himself. He's healthy. He's live at this price. But what I, it would be the PRP pick at best. Like it's the, On a 13-fight card, it's pretty much really at the bottom in terms of confidence level. But uh, I'm just trying to avoid who's going to shit my apple pie, to be honest. Yeah, that sounds fair enough. Um, the 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 bets that would be con- or of interest, at least to me, like Ramos by submission, I see like plus two forty five out there. I don't actually mind that because I don't really know what Lingo can do if Ramos also like if Ramos gets this fight to the mat. I think there may be a big mismatch there. Um, Lingo was taken down six times by Zalal. Zalal didn't really have any sort of submission skills to speak of, okay. and that's why he was able to get. Out of it. And, um, I mean, Ramos has shown some improved takedown ability. He took down Bill Aljeo, who is incredibly easy to take down, but has very, very solid grappling when you get down there. Took him down eight times, which is, you know, obviously quite quite a few. Um, Which is kind of why it's, like, weird on prize picks. I like the under two and a half takedowns on Ramos. Because I feel like if he does get it down there a couple times, like, he's going to find a sub. Um, or this fight just stays standing and, and kind of the way that you talk this fight through plays out. Um, so considering Ramos by sub, don't know if I'm going to get there. I've already locked in uh, Ramos under 2.5 takedowns because that brings in his flashy spinning stuff, his striking techniques. He's been finished early himself in fights. And I kind of think that like if Ramos is getting Lingo down multiple times, I'm not sure Lingo is going to be able to get out of the trap that Bill Aljo did. Ramos will be the pick for me, but minus 350. No, thank you. All right, we got Saeed Nurmagomedov taking on Jonathan Martinez. Minus 240 for Saeed, plus 210 for Martinez. Who you got? Yeah, so again, being away, I think 
at first glance, you would just be like, oh, yeah, Saeed Nurmagomedov, great. But, like, the more you're walking down the strip thinking about it, why are you even thinking about this fight walking down the strip? The more you think about it, I don't know, this could be kind of trap line to me. Like, Saeed Nurmagomedov, one, no relation to Khabib, so don't think that you're getting some great world beater out of this. Like, But he, he's super talented, but he seems to just snatch up that quick choke, right? He can get that quick choke. What if he doesn't get the quick choke? How much real substance is there to his game, right? The Ronnie Barcelos fight, he struggles down the stretch. His striking is good, but he gives up those takedowns, right? The Cody Stamen fight, quick submission. The uh, Mark Stregel fight, quick knockout. That last fight with with Kakramanov, he's not looking good, Paul. The first round, he gets taken down at will. Uh, the second round, he's getting taken down, and then he latches up that ninja choke, right? Modified guillotine. So he's live to snatch something up, but it's like, well, when have you seen him fight for like prolonged period? And then I go back to the Douglas D'Andrage fight, where, again, I don't think his striking was really all that good. He was tentative to physically engage him. His takedowns were really nowhere to be found in that spot. It wasn't like he was able to just rely on them. He is fast. He is accurate. He's someone that can beat you to the punch. But Andrade is a bit of an elder statesman. He's jacked. He's absolutely jacked up. But he's not exactly the fastest guy in the division. And he himself is kind of low on output as well. So he just kind of is able to fight at range. Jonathan Martinez has not shown any real, real flaws in this game. Other than he doesn't have a very good chin. But I don't think that's going to be a problem here. Like I don't know that Saeed hits hard enough to really be considered a power puncher that's going to go out there and knock him out. And with Jonathan Martinez, when you're not knocking him out, he just consistently puts in work, man. The guy's got one of the most diverse kicking games in, at this division. He'll just continuously work the body, work the legs, fights well at range, fights good inside the pocket. His boxing's okay, fast hands. The thing is, is that he's not a defensive marvel. Like, he is there to get hit, especially on counter shots. It's that I don't know that Saeed's just going to clip him and put him away. If he doesn't clip him and put him away, J-Mark can totally just put in that money in the bank, right? Work the legs, keep and just keep from there. Keep putting volume up. He just seems to be like a more more of a volume puncher. Has that kicking arsenal, and I think he's going to be able to mass strides with 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 Said Nurmagomedov. You have a natural instinct of thinking Said is Russian, and Said is a Nurmagomedov, and his last name ends with an O and a V. He's not a wrestler. He's a striker, and I think Jonathan Martinez is just as good of a striker with more volume in terms of the wrestling if you don't take jmar down he's not going to try to take you down probably going to get a 15 minute stand-up battle out of this and then when you look at the line it's just it's not really priced that way it's priced like size is going to run right through him at minus 240 like jonathan martinez is coming off a career best win over cub swanson where cubs shot to bits but when you're jonathan martinez you're 28 years old right you just picked up a huge significant win in your career over a name brand guy and now I'm going to start getting paid. Now they're going to start giving me bigger fights. And this is it, man. So he's going to be all-time motivated to go out there and continue this progress. Whereas, like, Saeed Nurmagomedov, I don't know if he cares too much for Jonathan Martinez. If he even knows who he is. I feel like he's going to get caught by somebody being a little bit lazy and just get out work. And again, I'm kind of worried that this might be the spot. So I know when I picked lingo last time, or at least consider some type of lingo action, it like sounds crazy. And with Jonathan Martinez, like maybe it sounds crazy too, but between one of those two guys, there's a couple more on the card that we're going to talk about. Like one of those underdogs that don't look sexy at first glance are going to win a split decision on the basis of outworking their opponents. When I look at Ricardo Ramos, low output. When I look at Saeed Nurmagomedov, low output. One of them will get outworked. That's the line of thinking here. So with Lingo, I don't know if I'll pull the trigger. With Jonathan Martinez, I will. I'll take some underdog action there on Jamar. Yeah, I, I agree with, like if Saeed's last name wasn't Nurmagomedov, what do you think his price would be? It'd probably be like minus, minus 170 plus 140, like that type of situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
here's my problem with Saeed is like I've had these exact same thoughts that you're talking about right now and I've been fading him and he's been making me pay but I'm gonna back Jonathan Martinez here because I see a lot of the same things that you do if we get guillotine choked if we get subbed so be it but uh, on the feed I don't think it's really all that competitive I see a Jonathan Martinez by decision plus 375 that I may just drop a little a little something something on cuz uh, I mean this line opened up minus 225 for Saeed and then early action came in on Martinez and then later action now has been pushing him all the way back down so or sorry early yeah early action came in on Martinez and then now there's been a a flow of money coming in on Saeed um I kind of agree with some of that earlier action. Like, I, I think that when it moved up to minus 190, Saeed, that was probably closer to fair and accurate. Um, I think Saeed's pretty durable. He's never been finished before. Jonathan Martinez, by decision, wouldn't be the worst bet I've ever made in my life. So I'm going to be adding that to the card. Uh, we got Vic, uh, Vitor Petrino taking on the pleasure man, Anton Turkali. Straight pick them, homie. Who you got? Yeah, so we always complain about, like, card placement. I just don't understand how this is on the main card. I don't really understand, like, how Lingo made it on the main card either. But this one kind of puzzles me because there's a lot of good fights on this. Rafael Sunstow, Davey Grant, you know, Mario Batista versus Guido Canetti, which at the very least will be a banger while it lasts. Tony Gravely versus Victor Henry, like, there's some good fights, man, but uh, no. We got Vitor Petrino versus Anton Turkech. I'll shoot to you straight. This one's very, very difficult to get a read on because Vitor Petrino just seems like a very quick finisher. Like His wins, for the most part, have been low-level guys, 1-17, 0-6, 0-0. He beat uh, Gazmara, Andy Gulov, uh, UAE Warriors, second-round knockout. That sets him up with the Contender Series. And I, I didn't think he looked all that good on the Contender Series. Like He gets the second-round knockout, but, I mean, he, he gave up a... Fairly easy takedown, you know, spent a couple couple minutes on his back and really seemed to have, like, the, the, the best get-up game going. Um, just, you know, li- limited, limited. Does get the knockout. Seems like he has heavy hands. Is one of these guys that's going to be explosive and be able to finish guys. But with Anton Turkaj, he's just got more of, like, a lay-and-pray type game plan. Like, he's a Swedish wrestler. He had grappled Alexander Gustafsson back in 2019 to, like, a competitive enough draw. He's a big body saw him on the contender series as well and it was a terrible fight like i don't even know why dana gave him a contract or signed him to the ufc afterwards but he gets like 11 takedowns and lands 21 significant strikes he doesn't do anything with the takedowns but they're fully there for him um as a punishment here come to the ufc fight jail tunnel Almeida. so so takedowns are not really on the table in that fight and so as such he loses but when you go back and watch regional scene tape on him like he's a big body swedish wrestler trains out of a pretty good gym with some pretty good guys and uh, generally relies on getting that wrestling going is a finisher you know has finished on the regional show but i think at a higher level he'll just settle in on doing what he did to a casio de santos on the contender series mm-hmm. just get those takedowns get good position hold him down for as long as you can Vitor Petrino is the finisher. He's a quick finisher. Most of his finishes come in the first round, early into the second round. Anton Turkaj is going to be one of these guys that's going to rely on taking you into some deeper waters, establishing top control, and just kind of gassing you out. So I would look at it as a better live betting opportunity than a pre-flop fight because Vitor may score the first round knockout. I'm not sure what the price on that is. If you were going to bet him, like he's the kind of guy that you're probably going to bet on an under one and a half type of spot. I just kind of feel that this one's going to get dragged out later. He'll get tired. He'll give up some takedowns and and give it up to Turkaj. 
So again, I have to make a pick on the show, and I think I'm going to lean Turkadge. But buyer beware! Like I don't think Turkadge is very good. He's not super athletic. He doesn't seem like he's got really you know a deep desire to win. He doesn't got a deep toolbox in terms of what he can do in there. It's that he has a significant wrestling advantage. I think he's got enough cardio to use that wrestling advantage to good effect for two rounds. And then I don't exactly see Petrino finishing him in the third because, again, he's going to be tired by that time. He's more of a quick finisher kind of guy. So the pick will be Anton. I know I keep calling him Turkaj. It's Turkali, my bad. Um, the pleasure man, Anton Turkali from Sweden. I-, I will take him. It's just, again, this is a pass-type fight. 13 fights, you can pass on some of them. Pass on this one. The bookmakers got it 50-50 because they don't know either. You know, either a first-round knockout or a, a later finish for Turkali or decision for Turkali. I'm landing towards that ladder. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I kind of see a lot of the same things. I know Tirkali got like really famous, or not famous, but like Twitter famous for some of his like crazy celebrations, the spinning back fists and stuff. But like, I think we're gonna see more what he did did on Contender Series as well. That was kind of like my breakdown of this. He's gonna stay out of trouble early. Um, use those takedowns, drag it out, make it kind of an ugly way. He had like 10 takedowns, hardly any significant strikes. It was very, very ugly, but it's like he didn't really have a great fight on Contender Series. I mean, they threw him to the wolves against the jail, man. Don't get me wrong, but like this is kind of like one of those fights. It's like if you lose to the Contender Series guy coming on to like you're on the chopping on the chopping room floor. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're close to getting caught. I don't know if they, maybe they would give him a third chance, but there's no guarantees at the UFC level that they keep you around. Um, Turkali is the pick for me. Probably no bet. Maybe more of a pay attention in the live markets, like you were saying and, uh, and snatch it up that way. Cause Petrino should have some success early moving on down. We've got Carl Williams taking on Lukash Breski. Minus 230 for Williams, plus 195 for Brezki. What do you think here, bud? Yeah, so if it sounds like I'm taking a bunch of random underdogs, uh, to a certain extent, it feels like I'm taking a bunch of random underdogs. I just see like some passive victories for these guys. And when I look at Carl Williams' the price tag, it's just like, why, why would I want to bet minus 230 Carl Williams? So uh, let's go over some of the glaring holes here, right? Carl Williams, for all extensive purposes, is not heavyweight. He's a 205-pound fighter. His entire career, amateur and pro, has been spent at 205 pounds. At that, he fights small 205ers. Simon Marini used to fight at 155. Is a gay porn star, by the way, now. But uh, I don't know why I knew that. But Well, I know it because I know Simon Marini's Canadian. But I shouldn't have mentioned it, I suppose. It's all important. He's a former lightweight, right? Miles Amos, he's small. Jason Butcher from Michigan is a middleweight. Like These guys are not the biggest 205ers going. And yet, he's able to beat them at 205. Fair. So now he jumps on the Contender Series. This is his first fight ever at heavyweight. He's 233 pounds. This Jimmy Lawson guy, oh my God, I'm the biggest idiot. I don't know why I bet him. He wrestled at Penn State. He was supposed to be like a good wrestler on paper. If you watch back that fight, he may be the worst fighter you've ever seen in your life. He has no desire to throw a punch. He has no ability to shoot a takedown. He gets taken down by Carl Williams, just absolutely on repeat, and quits about two minutes into the fight, and yet still goes 15 full minutes. It's a terribly bad fight to watch. It's an absolute bog. But because he came out and won a 30-27 as an underdog, Dana just gives him the contract. Now, this is your first fight at heavyweight. And it was against a fellow, you know, smaller guy, I suppose, who just really wasn't interested in being there. So now him 
for coming into the UFC as a bona fide heavyweight. He's not. He's not. He's a 205 that's just choosing to fight up. He's 33 years old. So do I see massive improvements from him fight to fight? No, not really. And I don't really see that there's a high ceiling for him to get a whole lot better. Could he drop down to 205 and potentially put a run together? Yeah, maybe. But it wasn't like he was even an elite 205er to begin with. Again, I just don't see it translating over. If you look at his career, okay, he's fought for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different organizations and eight pro fights. He's never fought for the same organization two times. So, like, no one's ever actually really signed the guy as much as they just bring him in for one fight. Mm-hmm. So, that I, at minus 240, they're kind of telling you that this guy's good. This guy's a solid prospect. This guy can come in and get some wins. I'm not truly sure that that's the case. Lucas Brzezewski, meanwhile, he's not like a huge heavyweight himself. He's about 235 pounds. But what you see from him on the regional scene in Poland is that he had fought some decent guys like Michael Keita. I know that fight's a draw, but again, that guy's a legend in Poland and fighting him three years, three, four years ago. Fighting him now is tough, man. Fighting him three, four years ago would have been a much more difficult task. Um, you know, his Edno Oliveira fight, again, a seasoned opponent. He had to go 15 minutes with him. But it's this fight with Dylan Potter on the contender series. Potter's terrible. Potter's absolutely terrible. But it's pure domination from Lucas Brzezewski. Like, he really does a good job of putting it on him. His cardio looks solid. So, yeah, heavyweight, because he's a smaller heavyweight and he's basically tailored his game around output and cardio, I like what I see out of him. He's going to go out there and he's going to go work some guys. Now, he wins that fight, scores two takedowns, lands 80 significant strikes over the course of, you know, late into the third round, and still chokes him out in the third, still trying to finish, cardio still intact, beats Dylan Potter, who's a bum, but all the same. I like what I saw out of him. Now, I fade him against Martin Budai. Martin Budai is 265 pounds. Martin mm-hmm. Budai is a real heavyweight. He had a 30-pound weight advantage over Bursuski. He's a bigger man, and he excels in the holding guys up against the cage department. So the extra 30 pounds would have been really beneficial to him in ha- holding Bursuski back. Bursuski comes out hot in the first round, works his body. Excellent body work, by the way, especially for a heavyweight. But just, he never slowed down, dude. He threw down the entire 15 minutes. He landed 118 significant strikes. In fact, he outlanded Budai 118 to 66, and they screwed him. Yep. And this is like one of the last few fights I can remember being on the right side of the true job split decision because, like, I'm always getting the shaft end these days. But uh, but it's like I felt really fortunate to squeak that one out. But with Berchuski, he's 30, which is still he's a baby at heavyweight. He moves quite decent. He puts in excellent body attack, excellent volume, and has pretty solid cardio. He's fought exclusively at heavyweight, so he knows what fighting heavyweights is all about, and he can maintain that 15 minutes. Whereas Carl Williams is a 205-er. You think he's just going to go out there and take him down on repeat? Well, Budai couldn't. You think he's going to stay at range and just strike with him all night? I don't think he's going to, man. Berchuski is absolutely a live dog. And when you and I talk about what are these weight divisions where plus money guys have a shot, it's women's MMA and it's 205. Mm-hmm. Two, oh, sorry, uh, uh, heavyweight. Middling heavyweights are greasy, and they are there for the upsets. And I feel like Lucas Brzezewski is a live money underdog this week for sure. And, and, I, and I will take him as the official selection. Yeah, don't hate it. Don't hate that um, mentality. It's like putting up 118 significant strikes in a heavyweight fight probably wins you it in most spots. I think the maybe because Carl Williams came in on Contender Series – and he was taking on Jimmy Lawson, who was like an, a, a credentialed wrestler. And everyone was pretty stunned that Carl Williams was the guy getting the takedowns. What uh, the the guy he took on only landed one. Or Jimmy Lawson landed one significant strike, got taken down three times. He was able to hold him down 
and t- take him down and hold him down. Maybe he's able to replicate that here, but while it's on the feet, the volume should be all Bresky and at plus 195, plus 200 in some spots right now. Don't hate that shot, buddy. So uh, sign me up for Bresky as well. Moving on down, we've got Davey Grant taking on Hafael Asuncao, minus 135 for Davey Boy Grant, plus 115 for Hafael Asuncao. Asuncao always keeps all of his fights very, very low volume, uh, very, very slow-paced, methodical. You go through the guy's career, and it's just like, you know, guys who have big, we'll talk about it a little bit later on for something I like on prize picks, but it's kind. this fight's kind of a stay away from me. I've liked David Grant, but he's not that much younger than Rafael Asuncao, to be perfectly honest at this point. Um, I think this is a fairly priced uh, minus 135, plus 115. Um, Asuncao, you know, he's getting older, but he's he's not really going away. Um, put on a half-decent performance against Victor Henry last time out. Um, I'm going to ever so slightly side with, with David Grant, who I think in theory can get off a little bit more volume. Um, has good takedown defense, but it's a half a Sunset fight, man. Like these things are very, very close. And then you're putting your money in the hands of the judges. And we know what happens when you go to the judges, be prepared to get robbed or not even robbed, but it's like, if it's a close fight, Every single Hafriella Sunsau fight pretty much is unless he's getting unless he's getting finished. Um it's it's a, it's a dicey territory. So I'll take David Grant on prize picks they got sixty two and a half, which is super low for a grand fight, but he's taking on a Sunsau who is like volume killer. It's always slow, methodical type of fights with Hafriella Sunsau. A real consummate veteran in this division. Um, and a tough test for anybody on any given night. Um, Grant will be the pick, but I won't be betting this one. What about you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the path is probably the way to go. But in terms of got to make a pick here, I think I will go with Davy Grant. Don't feel great about it, but I just got to go look at look at that like recent history. And Davy Grant, someone you'll remember this. Like I was high on him on the Ultimate Fighter. Like I was high on this guy back in 2013, just 10 years ago. And he just, like, never really panned out. Took three years off from the sport, uh, came back, dealt with some injuries, dealt with some ups, dealt with some downs. Even though he got older, he clearly didn't get any worse, man. He only got better and better. His coming out party was that Jonathan Martinez fight where he loses the first round fairly handedly and then just absolutely clunks him in the second, knocks him out. Nice win. It faced everything Martinez had in that first round. Got dropped in the first round, right? Showed an ability to uh, show some resiliency and come back and make the improvement. And it was solid. Now, I would have bet you my house that Marlon Vera was going to absolutely kill him. And I put a sizable bet on Marlon Vera. Did not feel good about it the entire time. How did Davy Grant give Marlon Vera that stiff of a test? I could not tell you. But Davy Grant pushed him, man. He gave him one hell of a fight. Marlon Vera is the guy that's ranked top five in the world right now. One of the better guys going. The UFC says thanks. But why don't you take on Adrian Yanez? And you bet heavy against Davy Grant again. And I'll tell you what, man. He gave Adrian Yanez. Absolutely everything he can handle extends him out, gives him a hell of a fight on a guy that, you know, is still a little bit young and a little bit green, but all the same. It's like, uh, you know, a, a solid, solid competitor. He stretches him out. And the Louis Smolka fight, well, Louis Smolka ain't no Marlon Vera or Adrian Giannis. So, again, his ability to just keep coming forward, get hit with what you got for him, and re-deliver it back. It's going to be one of these scraps. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to, They are going to be tough fights. They are going to be close fights. But I think he's capable of giving high-level guys tough fights. The thing with the 
stunts that was super low volume. So the Victor Henry fight, why he was able to win that one is Victor Henry, you know, Victor Henry was all volume against Rafael or against Rowney Barcellos and then comes in one fight later against Rafael Asuncio and decides he's going to counterpunch from the outside. And Rafael doesn't throw anything. So Victor doesn't want to lead the dance in that fight. Now, Victor's getting hesitant from the outside. Every time Victor starts the combination, Rafael lands a quick counter. And obviously, those two takedowns went far in just securing him. He fought a very smart, educated fight against Victor Henry. It wouldn't work against a guy that is aggressive. And when you look at him versus Ricky Simone or him versus Corey Sanhagen or him versus Marlon Moraes, guys that are going to come at him and bring the fight to him and cause him to fight off his back foot, I think he'll struggle more against those guys. Could he get his wrestling going? Absolutely. But at this age, I don't know that his wrestling would be considered, you know, as good as it has, in, you know, in prior years. And I don't know that it's going to be enough to just continuously take down Davy Grant when he needs to and, and hold him down for long periods of time. 40-year-old FL Sunset with major, major ankle surgery, I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know that I could get behind him. Now, Davy Grant is coming in on short notice, so we're relying on the fact that he's going to be in shape for this fight. But I think if he is in shape, he's just going to be the one that's coming forward, engaging, landing the strikes, stuffing the takedowns, making it a fight, and then that is going to be what the judges see once it's all said and done. The line doesn't look terrible, like enough that I would take that little poke on Davy Grant because it's only minus 135. But uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Rafael Sunstow just fights another smart game plan and squeaks this one on a, on a close competitive decision. Very, very closely lined fight. Very, very closely uh, described breakdown. Minus 135, plus 115. I just don't really think that there's very much uh, very much uh, meat on the bone in that spot. So seems like we're kind of on the same page with that. We got Cedric. Dumas taking on Josh Fremd. Minus 210 for Dumas, plus 180 for Fremd. Who you got? Yeah, well, I mean, like, I don't like Cedric Dumas. I call him Cedric Dumbass. Uh, he yeah. doesn't seem to be, like, the coolest guy going. The stuff that you see from him online, like, definitely an asshole. I think he's got some, like, personal history stuff as well that I don't really feel like talking about right now. But, like, mm-hmm. I don't think this is the kind of guy that I would like in real life. But, I mean, it can't pick against a guy just because you don't like him. Uh, the thing with him is he's a bit of a wild card in that his pro career consists of wins over 1-7, and 1-2, and 5-8, and 1-0, and 1-0, oh, 9-5. and, oh, and, oh, and That was a big one for him. And then he's on the contender series. His fight on the contender series, he's an underdog, but it lasts 47 seconds. He lasts, nails a nasty guillotine choke. He is long. He obviously knows how to fight. He's obviously putting that time in, and at 27, like, you know, he's going to be a problem for some guys. 79-inch reach at 185 pounds, and once you figure out how to use it, yeah, it's definitely definitely going to be a problem. Got a little bit of kickboxing experience as well. Like, I think I think he's someone that could grow into a finisher, not really, like, a talented guy that's going to fight for 15 minutes, but one of these guys that is going to be able to just lock up guillotines, you know, nail, nail you with that big shot, nail you with something. But again, when you watch the regional show tape, just because he's winning by 59-second head minute and a half knockout two minute knockout it doesn't mean he's a good striker man and like honestly i don't think he's a very good striker like i can't get behind it i think if the fight was to stay standing he's gonna get figured out he's gonna get pieced up his opportunity is to get the fight to the ground and try to choke him out but his wrestling's really not all that good just got like long arms and whereas i don't think that's enough to win it might be enough to win against josh frem who I didn't mind up until that Teresian Gore fight where uh, he stuck his head right into a guillotine choke and then had no answer for it. Mm. Prior to that, though, it's like Josh Frem is kind of a generalist, right? He's not a great striker. He's not a great wrestler. He's not a great cardio guy. doesn't got great durability, but pretty decent in all those areas. Has fought on a decent level. 
got wins over Bruno Oliveira, Antonio Jones, um, Hanato Volante, some decent enough guys, but nothing, nothing incredible, nothing that stands out as like a signature win on his record. But he fought Anthony Hernandez on super short notice, showed up, <clears throat> gaffed out, won the second round, or at least had a very competitive second round, was in it in the third round, unfortunately loses, but look how good Anthony Hernandez ended up looking. Mm -hmm. So I actually did bet him against Trejan Gore on the basis of that's how good he looked against Hernandez on short notice. What's he going to look like on a full camp? The answer was no better. No better at all. Maybe worse. Um, 29, I'd like to think he's getting better, but he didn't seem to show any improvements in that fight. Now him versus Dumas, he's coming in on short notice again. Like Cedric Dumas was supposed to get Abu Azitar, in steps in Josh Frem. So on one hand, I got Frem on short notice, which I don't love. I've seen him on short notice before. He was tired. I have no reason to believe that this is going to change anything. On the other hand, he fought Anthony Hernandez, who's a cardio machine. You know, they call him middleweight Cain Velasquez. Uh, yeah, that's that's a trepid-paced fight, and he took that on short notice and actually didn't look too bad in it. He's taking this one on short notice. He's a consummate pro. I bet you he's going to be in shape. He's got a cardio advantage over Dumas. He's got a striking advantage over Dumas. I just I need him to stuff the takedowns and not stick his head in anything stupid, and I don't know that I can really trust him to do do that. Um, I think this card's absolutely dog city. There's dogs barking. Some of them I'm not going to get wrong. Some of them I will get right, or some of them you know it's going to be a split. Frem screams to me like one of these guys that is live as an underdog. I don't want to pull the trigger on it, but if I put Dumas on parlays, I feel like he's going to be a parlay killer for me. So I think ever so slow. I'm going to go Josh Frem again and just keep it uh, on the low side of the parlays, right down at the bottom. Yeah, um, I, I was with you on uh, on Frem against Shashan Gore and kind of uh, learned my lesson. Like watching some of his stuff on the regional scene, I thought, oh, this guy's half decent. Like even against Fluffy Hernandez, I thought like, you know, he, he may be able to hang in there. In round two, he actually did pretty well for himself, and that's why I got on him against Gore. And then getting subbed and taken down three times and subbed by Gore is like, ah, it's... Really hard to pull the trigger. A lot of people have moved in on uh, uh, dumbass, as you like to call him, uh, this week. He was minus 140 like earlier in the week, and now he's minus 210. Line keeps growing. He seems to be everyone's darling. But you kind of repped or said it quite well. Um, you know, I mean, this guy was an underdog in his contender series fight. And before he went on to contender series, he hadn't really fought anybody. Um, he'd fought very, very low level of competition. So, like, all of the answers aren't out there for him. I'm going to pick Fremd as well, but I don't know if I can trust him with my money at plus 180. So, um, I know it's a bit of a coward's way out, but yeah, you don't have to. The way I play, it's like I don't really have to bet every single spot. I, I hammer three or four spots on a card, and I and I get on my way. So, Fremd will be the pick. Don't think I will be making friends with friends, though. Uh, we got... I like that you, you giggled about that one there, Code. Uh, we got Mario Bautista taking on old man Guido Canetti. Mario Bautista, 950 favorite. Guido can be half for plus 650. I like Mario Bautista. I think he wins this fight. If everything is all equal... I mean, you know, if everything is all equal... Oh, Mario Bautista, easy, easy pick, 100%. But, like, it's priced into it now that, like, he should absolutely roll against Can. Uh, he puts the Can in Kennedy, as I have said in the past. 43 years old, bantamweight, not exactly. I mean, he kicks like a mule. He'll come out, he'll throw some absolute heater kicks. If one of those lands, potentially he gets a finish. I was mentioning to some people, there's like a plus 
There's a plus 3,000 Guido by first round KO. I'm like, that is kind of like a YOLO bet. Like, don't hate that. That's already moved down to like 16 to 1. Other people are seeing the exact same thing. Um, I didn't even get on it myself. I've been waiting for other books to open up that prop. And um, yeah, I think like if you're trying to make money, Guido round one is like a YOLO, small little sprinkle. Maybe he pulls out. Maybe this is like his spot to find a first round finish. We've seen Mario Batista hurt and hurt early in fights, but it's like the longer this thing plays out or if Mario Batista gets an early takedown, which he showed massive improvements in his grappling abilities, he should absolutely roll. But like even Mario Batista round one is like plus 100. It's really, really hard to make money on the Bautista side right now. So Bautista, I guess for the purposes of picking would be my pick to win this fight. Um, but if you want to try to make some, uh, some greasy money, I think Kennedy's the side. Yeah. Well, Kennedy's been like a greasy money guy. Like if he's going to win, it's the same thing every time. It's like, ah, oh, 43 years old. I don't yeah. know. Keep in, keep this in mind. Okay. So his first UFC win against Hugo Vienna, he was a plus 450 underdog to Hugo Vienna when he beat him. Right. That's unheard of. That's massive. That's not just you're the underdog. He's a plus 450. His second win in the UFC against Diego Rivas, who's an oh, absolute bum, he was a plus-150 underdog to Diego Rivas. The third fight in the UFC that he won, Chris Moutinho, he's plus-135, and his last win against Randy Costa, he was a plus-240. So four wins in the UFC, three of them a sizable underdog, one of them was a plus-135. Like, yeah, when the guy does cash, he's cashing as a plus-money underdog for sure, and that's because he's going to go out there and he's going to go throw caution to the win. He had also spent a three-year uh, suspension from sport between 2018 and 2020 uh, for auto violations that largely... Sorry, he spent three years on the sideline between 2015 and 2018 and then spent two years on the sideline between 2018 and 2020. He's 43 years old. He's a banger. He's not going to fight for a prolonged period of time. And so I think that's why you could probably feel pretty good going on those unders in this fight. This fight's not going to go the distance, but he's probably wins he's gonna win inside the distance but that's not like minus 350 still a bad price mm-hmm. tag. better than you know minus 900 350 still a bad price tag what do you do to try to improve that like i'm leaning towards batista by submission i think when you look at the trevin jones fight he's all over trevin jones and then boom he gets clipped right so you and i start talking about how talented this guy is but also maybe his durability is not great that fight with jay perrin jay perrin's super one-dimensional maybe he clips you so he takes him out of that four takedowns he was largely looking to grapple in that fight which is a little bit different from him it's right with Brian Keller. Brian Keller is like, I wouldn't say accredited BJJ black belt, but he's a BJJ black belt with some decent submission victories on his record. And he took him down, buzzsawed right through him, rear naked choked him. His last fight with Benito Lopez. Lopez never been finished. Lopez, team alpha male guy, knows how to wrestle, knows how to grapple. Takes him down, buzzed right through him, gets the arm bar. I think he's putting more of an emphasis on his wrestling. He's putting more of an emphasis on his jiu-jitsu. And especially when taking on a guy that's one-dimensional like Guido Canetti, why would you just stand in front of him? You're chasing 50 Gs. Chasing 50 Gs usually ends up losing you a fight, which sets you back a lot more than 50 Gs, right? Uh, I think you take the smart approach. Now, with Guido, they've done really good matchmaking. His last, This is his last number of fights. Randy Costa, bum, one-round, banger. Chris Moutinho, it's the exact same description that I just used for Randy Costa. Bum, one-round, banger. Manny Martinez is a bum, and he can fight some few rounds, but he's a banger. Uh, Dana Baccarell is a banger. Marlon Vera, especially back in 2018, he was a little rough around the edges, more of a banger. 
Diego Rivas was a banger. These, these guys all kind of have that in common. Mario Batista can be a banger, but he is by far the best wrestler grappler that Kennedy's fought in a while. And I think Kennedy's just going to give up his back and get choked out. Mm-hmm. Been choked out a few times in the UFC. Got rear naked choked by Marlon Vera. Got triangle choked by Kyung Hill Kang. Got rear naked choked by Henry Briones. He has a knack for throwing everything he's got and then giving up his back and getting rear naked choked. And I kind of think that's what's going to happen here. So I, I go Batista, Batista by submission, which is plus 100. Not a good price tag considering mm-hmm. it's a submission prop. But what I would think is the most likely outcome. Yeah, I mean, that all makes sense to me. I, I don't I don't hate it, but it's, yeah, they're making it very difficult for you to make, like, to make bank off of this fight. And probably for good reason. One guy's 43 and the other guy's been making serious improvements. But uh, yeah, minus 950 is quite, quite startling. And it's minus 1,000 in other spots and continuously growing. So we'll see where it shakes out uh, by the time we get to Saturday afternoon. J.J. Aldrich takes on... Arion Lipsky minus 450 for JJ plus 350 for Lipsky. Who you got here, Code? Well, the King Pat Mayo would tell you this is an easy Arion Lipsky <laughs> because the price is way off. And th- that last part, I wouldn't, I, I would agree with. The, I think the price is off. But that being said, like, I, I would still have to go with JJ Aldrich. You know, once upon a time, you know, JJ Aldrich was my baby. And uh, again, she trains with Rose Nama Yuna. She trains with some of the best fighters in the game. She's got excellent striking. She doesn't always tie it all together. She does have some questionable ring IQ. Not questionable ring IQ so much as she's not able to keep concentrated for the full 15 minutes. It's like a mental lapse in concentration. She'll make a mistake, and then her opponents generally capitalize on said mistakes. But for the most part, I think uh, she's you know fairly fairly talented, uh, kind of gatekeeper-esque, but willing to go in there and fight anybody in the world and could give them a tough spot. The reason why she's such a big favorite is simply because of what Aaron Blanchfield has gone on to do. But when you look at that last fight, she gave Blanchfield a great scrap. You know, she won the first round. She was able to keep it standing, stuff the takedowns, won the striking exchanges. Into the second round, Blanchfield just goes YOLO mode and starts you know moving forward and throwing a lot more and. And she kind of broke down J.J. Aldrich and eventually was able to snatch up the guillotine choke. So Aldrich has kind of done that in the past as well. She won the first round against Macy Barber fairly easily. Again, made a mistake in the second round, ended up getting clubbed, knocked out. Her fight with Sabina Mazzo, she just basically stalled up and stared out her the entire time. So there's enough bad performances or at least inconsistent performances to make you not want to go out there and bank this thing at minus 250. But I guess Ariana Lipsky, I just I couldn't tell you where she loses this fight. If it stays standing, she's got a, way more volume. She's very accurate. I think that she's just going to she could back her up. She could play right range. She could do whatever she wants. She's a better striker than Ariana Lipsky. In terms of the wrestling, JJ Aldridge's wrestling has made a lot of improvements. Again, training some high-level opponents and some high-level of training partners, sorry, She's made, she's gotten better, and you see in that last fight with Aaron Blanchfield, the desire to go out there and try to take her down, to score two takedowns, to get her down, and then have, not success, but neutralize some spots. Like, it's a very, very tough grappler. I think that's all good. Now you're going to take on Ariana Lipsky. It's going to be like a world of difference. You get those same takedowns, you're going to see way less reaction, way less resistance, and I think that's going to play big, big dividends. So J.J. Aldridge can win this fight standing. She can win this fight to the ground. I would certainly say this fight probably like a J.J. Aldrich by decision. But, but with Lipsky, know. like she got knocked out by Cachoeira last fight. She got knocked out by Montana De La Rosa two fights before that. She got knocked out by Antonina Shevchenko the fight before that. Like, ah, this is one of those fights that like you bet Aldrich by decision. Aldrich ends up TKO in the second round. You feel like an idiot. So 
I don't know that I would try to chase a specific prop. And then if I can't get a specific prop, then I'm left with J.J. Aldrich minus 450. And, you know, we're one week removed from the Queen B. Valentina Shevchenko losing. It's like I'm not saying this fight has anything to do with that fight or that styles. And nothing. I, I just mean when you're paying, when you're overpaying for tight spots, uh, you know, you're going to have some bad rubs every now and again. And I just think like there's some buyers beware here for J.J. Aldridge, who isn't elite. And they're giving you a she's an elite price tag. Lipsky, meanwhile, I mean, like, she's a very pretty girl. She turns an American top team. She, uh, In theory, she's young enough that, like, hey, she could have gotten better. But she's another girl that you can watch the entirety of her career, and she's made zero progress. She, The girl that fought Joanne Wood in 2019 in her debut uh, could have probably beaten the girl that fought Priscilla Cachoeira three years later. Like, it's there's no improvements to her game. I don't know what she does in the gym, but... Clearly, she can't wrestle. Her striking isn't enough to fall back on. The only one time she ever looked competent in the UFC was against Mandy Baum. And Mandy Baum, the kids call her Mandy Bum. There's a reason for that. So, yeah, do you want action on this fight? No. If you're the kind of guy like me, you're going to have some type of some exposure to every fight. Then, yes, we're going to take J.J. Aldrich. She'll probably be somewhere around, like, the second or third line. I don't want her on the second, but, you know, there's a lot of underdogs on this card, so I don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, but I would imagine she's probably on the third line somewhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, if you're, if you're forcing tight spots, you're going to get squeezed. Um, that's, that's kind of what this spot looks like. It was minus 225 a little bit like earlier in the week on Aldrich. Everyone's moving in on, on, uh, on her for, for obvious reasons. 450, there's minus 350 is still available out there. Probably going to settle at minus 500. I mean, Lipsky went out there against my girl Cab and did what you do not want to do. Get into like a barroom brawl. Just throw in heaters right out of the gate. It's just like chin for chin. It's just like I was loving it because I was all over it. I think we had um, we had a shoey bet on it. It was glorious. What a great night in women's mixed martial arts. Um Aldridge isn't exactly quite like a real potent finisher by any stretch of the imagination. When she does win, it usually goes to decision. Sometimes when people put the heat on her, she can't handle the heat. But she's been putting in great like a lot of years with a really, really good team in Colorado. I think she should win here. She may even get the finish. I don't hate. I don't know if I'm going to get to it. But I don't hate betting the under if if you want to go down that route. Because that's I feel like Lipsky's going to come out and try to force the issue because uh, pitter-patter and making 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 this like a very, very close competitive fight, I don't know that if that really suits her. Um, she's been taken down quite easily. Can Aldrich stay out of the submissions? I think she probably can. I don't think I'm going to get to it, but uh, if I was forced my hand, like the under two and a half rounds of plus 165 seems interesting at the very least. Uh, Aldrich will be the pick, but minus 450, uh, no thank you. Uh, Victor Henry takes on Tony Gravely minus 140 Victor Henry plus 120 for Tony Gravely that's your boy that's your boy Victor Henry who uh, had a tough time out last time again it's Rafael Suntel on prize picks I like the Victor Henry over 63.5 significant strikes Gravely will have like a wrestling advantage he's been very successful at getting his wrestling off in the UFC, but it's like a lot of these fights, even when he's getting takedowns, 
Guys are getting up to, you know, 70 significant strikes, 75 significant strikes. Like, you just go through his numbers. Uh, Geraldo DeFrey has got taken down seven times, but still got to 76 against him. Javid Basharat got to 80, 80 significant strikes against him. If Victor Henry is leading the dance on the feet here, uh, I think we would get more of uh, Ronnie Bocharlo's, maybe not 181 significant strikes, but, um, you know, I think he could comfortably clear 103 rounds um, as long as he's it all comes down to how much time he's spending off of his back. But Gravely has been very, very hittable on the feet. Victor Henry isn't really a potent finisher. So on prize pick 63 and a half uh, to the over. Um, I like that as a leg. I mixed it with a bunch of other little like different sports and stuff like that. But I also have it mixed with uh, the Ramos under two and a half takedowns, uh, a two legger on that. Um, I'll pick Henry and mostly based on volume. Um, but Gravely, I mean, if Gravely really, really has success in the wrestling department, I'm not going to be shocked. Uh, I think the prize picks play is uh, my preferred route of action. Uh, in this fight. What about you, buddy? Yeah, I got Victor Henry. A lot of the same thinking as you got. I think he's just going to win this volume or he's going to win down the stretch. Not a bad idea to add him to your list of guys you're looking to live bet. Tony Gravely's a problem in the first round. You know, he's very athletic. He's a three-time state champion out of Virginia. Wrestled at Appalachian State. The guy is a, a very good athletic fighter out of American Top Team. But universally, after the first round, he ain't the same guy. So with Brett Johns, he's a fast start. Gasses out in the third. Got choked out in the third. His fight with Geraldo De Freitas, uh, he scored seven takedowns in that fight, right? Gasses out hard in the third, lost the third, ends up winning a split decision over Geraldo De Freitas. His fight with Nate Maness, he breaks Nate Maness's jaw in the first round, KOs him, the round ends. Nate Maness's guys, I don't think you're allowed to pick the guy up and carry him back to the corner, but commission don't say anything. They scooped him off the canvas, carried him back over, woke him up, threw some water on him. He has a broken jaw. They smacked him on the ass and he went back out for round two and he knocks out Tony Gravely. Tony falls off a cliff after the first. His last fight was Javid Basharat. Not that he had a great first round, but he never really got going in that fight. And then the longer that it extended, again, not quite maybe as tired, but he's getting tired. Right? He's 31 years old. I think he's not old. He's not over the hill. It's just that he's a fast twitch muscle kind of guy. He's a very fast paced kind of guy and his body and his muscles are just not able to sustain that over a longer period. Victor Henry, meanwhile, he's 35. Like this dude's been around the block, right? But that's the thing is that he's already fought at a high level. He's not your average. I've got two fights in the UFC kind of fighter. He's your average. I've got 30 fights career in my in pro fights in my career. I've traveled the world. I fought in a lot of notable guys. I fought in a lot of guys that went to the UFC and did well in the UFC. So Victor Henry, uh, you know, he's seasoned enough. And that's what able to get the win over Rowney Barcellos is that he wasn't just your regular debuting fighter. The thing is, is that Rowney likes to attack you. Rowney's an aggressive guy. Rowney is an all-action guy, right? He's not the biggest volume guy, but he's constantly trying to mix it up. He tries to go after Victor Henry. This allows Victor Henry to excel in those numbers. It allows him to get his game going. It allows him to start flowing in that. His fight with Rafael Sunsau, Sunsau is only looking to exclusively counterpunch, right? He's not looking to come forward. He's not looking to mix it up. He's not looking to do, do all those things. So I think that's why he struggled. It was two counterpunchers, and he was now trying to lead the dance and couldn't quite get it going. Against Gravely, Gravely's going to come after him, and I think that's going to allow him to get comfortable again. Gravely is a great wrestler. Victor Henry, you know, is a catch wrestler. He catches catch can, right? He, the guy's trained under Josh Barnett. Uh, he's trained under one of the best catch wrestlers over in California. Like, if he gets taken down, which is a possibility, he's going to get right back up. 
Ronnie Barcellos is like a seven-time member of the Brazilian national team in freestyle wrestling, and he stuffed the vast majority. I think he stuffed all of Ronnie Barcellos' takedown attempts. So the guy can wrestle, and beyond that, if he gets taken down, he's getting back up. If if Tony Gravely comes in with the game plan of wrestling a lot more than you probably normally would, he's going to tire out even faster. So he'll try to conserve himself, just stay to the outside, come inside, try to kill the pocket, try to land that big shot or two, and then try to get him back up to the cage, back up to the cage. He does not want to fight Victor Henry in the open field. They'll fight him on that like outside perimeter. And the longer he does that, I think he's going to tire. I think Victor Henry's going to figure him out. Get comfortable, start landing, land more than him, tire him out in the second and third, win those rounds at the very least, and probably walk away with the decision. So I will take Victor Henry. I'll take Victor Henry by decision. Um, but again, this pre-fight money line, I don't love, but I think we're going to get be able to get a better in in fight money line like three minutes into the first maybe after the first yeah the best the best victor henry by decision line that i see out there is plus 210 so if you want to go pre-flop you're not going to be watching the fights live maybe not a bad look but yeah round one could be pretty dicey gravely always starts hot and he should have some success at least early with the takedowns. So finally, we've got Bruno Silva taking on Tyson Nam. Bruno Silva, minus 200 favorite. Tyson Nam can be had for plus 170. Close the show, code. Yeah, well, this one we're going to have to go with a little bit of narrative, and the narrative would be that Bruno Silva is going to come back as an even better version of himself. Like, he's got to be an incredibly hard worker because he starts off his career, he gets choked out by Khalid Taha. Ah, I was overturned because of a positive drug test, but he got choked out by a guy that's not known for submissions. Up away class for the record. His next fight against David Dvorak, yeah, David Dvorak was okay, and again, Bruno De Silva gets worked in that fight. That's outstruck. He landed a couple takedowns. Third fight in the UFC that threw him to, to Gear Ulambekov, and he's a massive underdog. He's expected to lose. We've all got big money against him. And uh, I think that was like his coming out party again because he gave David Dvorak a decent fight. But in the Tagir fight, there's an argument he won. I'm glad he didn't because I bet against him. But his takedowns look good. His striking look good. And that was like the dawning of, man, this guy trains full-time with Henry Cejudo. And he is full-time at Fight Ready MMA, one of the best gyms, one of the most unheralded gyms, but one of the best gyms. Solid, solid crew of guys. Santino DeFranco and the bunch over there. And he's just consistently made improvements to his game, you know, been in camp with the Patricio brothers, uh, the Pitbull brothers, Patricio and Patricky. You know, he's been in camp with Sean O'Malley. He's been in camp with a bunch of high-level guys, Alexander Pantoja. And then it's rubbed off on him. So finally against JP Buys, it's like he just smoked him. JP Buys was like a high-level wrestler. It was Bruno Silva that got the takedown. Bruno Silva dropped him three times. Everything he threw landed. Everything that landed, Buys toppled over, and he knocked him out in the second. Nice little win for him. Then he fights Victor Rodriguez. Um, and just a minute into the first round, he knocks him out. There's really not much to be seen in that fight. And then now it's like, bro, he starts off 0-3 in the UFC. Now he's 2-3. and Now he's got some momentum. Now he's finally starting to get going, and then bump two years off. So still only 31, right? Still a young guy. Still somebody that I think would have made lots of improvements in the time off. But having that much momentum and being a guy that, you know, liked to stay active, taking two years off is almost certainly because of injuries that he's been dealing with. And I just don't know how is his body holding up, how confident he is, ring rust, all these different things. But when you look... Look at Tyson Nam. Tyson Nam's a banger bust kind of guy. He's always been like that. He's got big knockout power. Almost all of his wins, he'll knock the guy out. When he doesn't knock the guy out, he falls behind on the scorecards. He doesn't know the volume, right? Um, fights that you think he's got a chance and he doesn't. Fights you don't think he's got a chance and he does. Coming off a win over Ode Osborne, knocks him out, but it's in the first round. The fight with Jerome Rivera knocks him out 34 seconds into the second. The fight with Zaruk Adeshev knocks him out 30 seconds into the first round. They're, they're quick knockouts. 
Almost all those other ones, it's him getting outworked. And, you know, Sergio Pettis, ah, he's world-class. Kakao France, ah, he's a former title challenger. Matt Schnell, like, Matt Schnell just simply just outworked him. That's it. Just don't get clipped by the big shot. Stay to the outside and just outwork him. He's 39 years old, Tyson Am. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, and he hasn't learned any new tricks. He's got some pretty decent takedown defense from his time at Team Quest in Oregon, and the guy absolutely smacks like a hammer for 125 pounds. Those are his weapons. Beyond that, it doesn't tie enough together. Now, Bruno Silva, he's just a go-getter, right? He can wrestle. I think he can take Tyson Nam down. I don't think he's going to get taken down in rolls reverse because Nam never offensively fires a shot. But in terms of the scrap, I think here's a guy in Bruno Silva that has a great chin, who's been able to stand up to big shots against decent power punchers and has not really had any type of issue. In Tyson Nam's case, he's a banger-bust kind of guy. So if he doesn't get that quick knockout i just don't think he will i think bruno silva just keeps continuously putting money in the bank chips away and beats him during the long haul the only thing is minus 200 mm-hmm. <laughs> like one guy's coming over a really relevant win over ode osborne with the first round knockout and has a history of first round knockouts and it's like you know tough the other guy is coming off a two-year-long layoff you know and a couple soft-ass wins over victor and or over victor martinez and uh JP buys like how do you, how do you go from that in a two year long layoff to now being a two to one favorite over you know a serviceable guy in Tyson Nam so don't love the price but again we film the show later in the week so you're never gonna hit those like early ones and uh, I, I I hate being like oh well I would bet that if it was this price but I won't bet it because it's that price it's like shit changes I get it I prefer to do the show later in the week because people listen to shows later in the week but yeah yeah do you love the price take no. Are you still taking Bruno Silva? Absolutely. And similar to last week, last week we went with Basharat at the top and uh, Rachmanov. It's like they weren't the biggest favorites on the card. They just seemed to be like the most sensible favorites and like the price tag in comparison to what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So Bruno Silva at minus 200. It's like I like Bruno Silva at minus 200 probably more than I like J.J. Aldrich at 450, you know, certainly more than I would like Carl Williams at 230, which by the way, I don't. Certainly more than I would like Saeed Nurmagomedov at 240, which, for the record, I don't. Certainly more than I would like Ricardo Ramos at 350, which, for the record, you've been listening to the show. I, I think I'm going to go against the three of those guys. I, I yeah, there's, This is Dog City. It's a Dog City kind of card. but uh, And that, that makes Bruno Silva, even though you don't love it, and it's minus 200, he's been off two years. Like That that probably makes him kind of on the safer side and someone that you're going to have to utilize a little higher than you'd like to. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't have beaten the market whatso well i guess unless you were one of the few fortunate people on wednesday february 22nd um from 10:38 on best fight odds i don't know what time that's in to 11:08 <laughs> so it's like a 30 minute window it went from plus 130 down to one minus 155 then down to minus 170 and it's kind of been hovering around there and steam's starting to come in so it's like but it opened up you, plus money. Yeah, but like one yeah, person, so guys, one person on, on Earth has easy, that ticket. It. One person on yeah. Earth and thirty thousand complete frauds on Bet MMA tips have that ticket. You know, that's kind of right. how the thing works. It's like I'm sure there's guys that are trying to pump those numbers up um, on the third third party tracking site. That you know, they they if you unless you were right there. Waiting by your computer for a 30-minute window. You didn't hit that line. Um, and it got down to minus 170 pretty much immediately. Um, I'm not even going to really – I'm going to – I'll wait for the line to move. Maybe if there's, like, a nice prop on, like, 
Tyson Nam by KO, I'll I'll hop in. I think a lot of the points that you said about Bruno Silva being durable are all well and good. But Nam is super, super dangerous. I see a plus 275. That's not getting me uh, out of bed. A lot of the props haven't really opened up on this on this fight. I'll pick a dog to open the show, but um, don't love it. May not even, yeah, probably won't even bet it. The only bets I do have in um, are Martinez by decision plus 375. I've got the, the Peter Yawn long props at 2200 and plus 3,300 for rounds four and five. Um, and waiting for the market to kind of settle on Lucas Brezky, who I'll probably add, hopefully, in the plus 200 range. Um, that's probably, like, that's, those are the three that I, are at the top of the list. Tyson Nam, if I can get, like, plus 400 on a knockout prop, probably won't actually get there. I, I may dabble as well, but... Uh, those are my looks this oh and Guido Canetti if I can get something uh, north of 20 to 1 on him to win um in round one I'll, I'll drop a little just a little salt based sprinkle on that but uh that's those are my looks this week hit him with the PRP Cody we are dog city baby but we are going with Peter Yan Romanov that could flop but for time Time now, we're going with Romanov. We're going to go with Span, dog number one. We're going to go with, uh, I'm going to go Austin Lingo, dog number two. I'm going to go with Said, sorry, uh, Jonathan Martinez, dog number three. Uh, Anton Turkalge, Lucas Brzezinski, dog number four. Davy Grant, Josh Frem, dog number five. Mario Batista, JJ Aldrich, Victor Henry, and Bruno Silva. So 13 fights, five underdogs. If uh, you've been noticing on the broadcast, like, it's like, oh, the favorites keep winning. Oh, the favorites keep winning. When Valentina loses, it's like the first dog, I guess, that has come through since, like, whatever it was, a run of 13 fights. So, like, one of these big dog cards, yeah, they're due. They're due. I think mm-hmm. this is the one. So, I feel pretty good with my 500 dogs. These 500 dogs are also, also like, pretty good plus money, like, generous plus money. Keep them at the bottom. Still need my favorites to come through. But this could be a wild, greasy card that could end up being profitable for the best. Um, besides that, yeah, like Paul was saying, maybe just like some simple plus money props is the way to go this week. But I'm excited for it. Be good to come back home and then sit down, watch some dope ass fights. I think I gotta watch. I gotta work glory kickboxing on the Saturday. But but that's during the day. And then at night, yeah, UFC. So if anything changes, you guys will find out about it on Twitter. If you got any questions, I'd love to say hit me up. But just I've been all over the place the last few months, so. Maybe that's not the best way. Uh, all I can say is thank you and best of luck this week. And hopefully we can make it a profitable one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Saftik, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.